This week on Inside Motorsport, we hear from the 1980 World Formula One champion, Alan Jones, on his new book. I hope you'll stay with us. Well, Alan Jones, uh, hot on the heels of a, a new book out now that you've uh, written with Andrew Clark. How's the reaction been? I think pretty good so far. I mean, today's obviously it's, it's launch, and um, so we'll probably be able to gauge it a lot better in a week or so. But um, from the people that have um, had it, they reckon it's the best read they've ever had. No, they haven't. I'm just saying. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, that seems to be pretty good feedback so far. Is it a case now that enough people have passed away that you can actually tell the stories? Not quite. The third one will be better. <coughs> um, it's, it's when I uh, stop coming to any race meetings and have to bump into people, that's when the third one will come out. What was the reason behind doing it? Well, it because people kept saying, AJ, when are you going to do a book? When are you going to do a book? And uh, it was such a long time since my first one. I think I did it in 1980, 81. And there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then, so I thought, well, why not? Maybe you know, while I'm still coherent, I should get one out. What's the process like? What is it like to try and remember all these details, make sure they're right, uh, or make sure they're embellished to a point where you, you can't be sued? Well, I mean, Andrew helped me with most of that, to be honest. Um, you know, uh, he um, looked up most of the statistics and, and sort of put me right. I can't remember half the cars I drove, to be honest, but... Um, so uh, he did most of the groundwork in that area. What's one of your favourite stories that uh, you've put to pen? Oh, there's a lot. You'll have to get, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> what was the one that you really wanted to get out there, the story, that might have been the most obscure, obscure one that people would never have known of? Oh, well, probably throwing a few people under the bus gave me more pleasure than anything. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Payback time. When they do their book, they can pay me back. Did you reverse the bus over them? Uh, several times, yes. Yeah. What do you think of racing in 2017? What, Formula One or generally? Generally. Oh, look, you know, I love motor racing. I love cars. It's a very hard bug to get rid of. Um, I've grown up with it, so it's basically all I know. And, um, you know, it's been quite fun to see the evolution of some formulas and a little bit disappointing to see some other aspects of it. But that's part of the deal. Do you sit down and watch Formula One these days? Yeah, bloody oath. Yeah, I was up until bloody 12, 31 o'clock this morning watching qualifying. Um, so I normally get myself a glass of red and some cheese and sit down and make a bit of a thing of it. I don't do that on Channel 10, of course, but um, uh, but if, I'm, if we're not doing the Grand Prix, yeah, I, I quite enjoy it. Liberty Media now, the end of the Bernie era. How have you seen that change? It seems to be quite a big change in, in direction. Well, yeah, I think we've seen little snippets of it so far, like that thing in London. I'm not sure whether that would have happened under Bernie. I think we're going to see a lot more accessibility to the teams and the drivers by general public. I think we're going to see a lot more social media. I, I think that the Americans are a lot more attuned to that than what Bernie was. I mean, you know, Bernie used to say, well, they've got TV, what more do they want? Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more interaction with a whole lot of different groups with, with, with Liberty. What about Formula E? We're seeing uh, the WEC being gutted of manufacturers and every manufacturer wants to be part of Formula E. Yeah, I don't like it, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I'm not even sure I like switching cars for a start. And then, you know, uh, the kid next door was playing with his scale electric. I thought he had the TV on and was watching Formula E. No, I don't, they, don't make, they don't make any noise or anything. They're not sort of... I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of them. Mm. And what do you think it is going to mean to uh, sports car racing? 
Well, I, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm rather sort of hoping that, uh, you know, it seems to be when one drops out, another one seems to come in. I mean, let's, you know, maybe there's some Japanese manufacturers that might want to come into it. But, uh, you know, for Porsche to pull out and a few of those sort of top runners, it's a bit disappointing, really. And what about the taxi cabs here in Australia? Well, I was saying before, you know, I mean, it's probably the best form of touring car racing in the world. It's probably the most professional. It's a great show, you know, and, and um, you know, I like it. How do you think it's gone since you've left it? Oh, it's gone downhill. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, I was just saying to Andrew, I can't believe, you know, like the, the professionalism of it now, the size of the transporters, the cost, the show, you know, it's terrific. When you go overseas, it's on par with everything you see there, isn't it? Absolutely, without a doubt, and better than a lot. What do you think is the missing link? Uh, well, I, I think they're doing a pretty good job, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, if I had to sort of suggest something to make it better, I wouldn't know what to suggest. There's nothing in it that you don't like? No, not really. No, I like it all. Um, no, seriously, I, don't, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how I'd make it better. No, I think they've, they've got it pretty well right, I reckon. Cars, so much different now to when you were driving them. How do you reckon you'd go? Well, the, the thing I always used to get upset about was I had to reach down onto the tunnel to change gears. Now they've got sequential gearboxes with the gear stick up near the steering wheel. That would have suited me down to the ground. I would have loved that. You know, and they're a lot more sophisticated now. I think, obviously, they've got more horsepower. And in many respects, I think they're probably, I think they'd probably a bit easier to drive. When you made the move back to Australia, it was the only game in town. What have you thought about the, the Formula 5000 war, which seems to be over now? I think it's a terrific idea because at the end of the day, we're starving for open wheelers. You know, we, um, you know, people keep on saying, oh, where's the next world champion coming from? Where's our next boy that's going overseas to race open wheelers? Well, I can tell you, he's not coming out of V8 supercars because once you get in there, I think you're, you're there for the remainder. So I think we need to, A, present to the public a, a form of open wheeler racing and I think this is an ideal way of doing it. Is it a, a pie-in-the-sky dream to try and get back to the 70s, though? Um, I don't know. Are they getting back to the 70s? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, they're just going to run open-wheelers. I mean, open-wheelers for open-wheelers. I mean, uh, you know, uh, whether it be Formula 4 or... I mean, it's just as long as, you know, we don't make the normal Australian thing and have about 19,000 different formulas and make it affordable enough for a young guy to maybe come through Formula 4 or and then go into... Formula, I don't even know what they're going to call it. Formula 5000, are they? Oh, Super 5000, I think. Oh, Super 5000, Thunder Bunder. Or, but, um, yeah, I think that uh, as long as they make it affordable for a young kid to come through the open wheeler section and providing it's got enough credibility that if he does anything in the championship, he'll be taken seriously. Do you see it as a, a stepping stone? It's got no link into Europe? No, it hasn't, but um, most things we do in Australia don't e anyway. We seem to have a look and see what the rest of the world are doing, and if it's a success, we go the opposite way. No, but, uh, but look, at the end of the day, if it's an open wheeler and the, and the person's going extremely well in it, whether it has a link to what's happening overseas is to a certain degree irrelevant because he'll just be known as the person that dominated the open wheeler class of racing in Australia and that should give him a bit of credibility. And I guess the important thing is it's on the main stage. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, very important. Alan, gratuitous plug for the book of course, uh, where can people find it, what should they be looking for? Well most of the bookshops, most of the, the good bookshops have got it, they can buy it online ad42.com.au. How long did it take you to get it all together? I think we probably took about six months. Andrew had come up and, 
you know, we'd start with coffee in the morning and go to lunch and the afternoon sessions were a lot more colourful than the morning ones. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed doing it, to be honest. Did you get a lot out of it? What, monetary? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I quite enjoyed it, you know. It, um, I just hope that people get a bit of insight on, on what my career, what I've been through and what I've done and I just hope they enjoy the read. Well, Alan, it's great to, uh, great to speak to you. You're looking well and uh, make sure people look out for AJ in the book source. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Working with Jones to write the book is Andrew Clark. I caught up with him at the launch. Well, Andrew Clark, uh, working with Alan Jones to write your latest book, how was that experience? I look, I mean, firstly, it's a massive honour. Growing up at my age in Australia, if you liked open-wheeler car racing, I mean, Alan Jones just changed our world and... Uh, you know, we went from getting nothing on TV to you know, getting it onto TV and then watching him win the World Championship. So, you know, great experience to sit down with him and talk through those days and those times. And uh, it's special for me. I mean, uh, uh, during the writing of this book, my father died and, um, you know, Dad grew up around all of these same people. So around Otto Stone and, uh, and, and Brian Sampson, all those people he'd read about in there. So it was great to sit down and talk to Dad about that all at the same time as well. So, you know, very emotional time and uh, yeah, very proud to have done it with him. What was some of the stories that uh, you just went, wow, I can't believe I'm hearing this? Oh, the time when he talked about having his genital warts burnt off, <laughs> cut off before crashing a NASCAR was it cracked me up. I laughed for days after that one. But, uh, you know, other great little stories, you know, the time when Bernie Eccleston encouraged him to turn up sick or go home sick from a race so that um, the Beatrice didn't go on the grid. And, uh, you know, all the other things, you know, so, uh, his times with Toyota afterwards. Uh, but for me, it was really those those early days, you know, the grifting and grafting to get yourself into a drive because Australia just doesn't support our racing car drivers and uh, the rest of the world does. So you come over from Australia, whether you're Alan Jones, Mark Webber or Daniel Ricciardo, it's a battle. And, uh, you know, the way they get onto the grid, I think, is quite fascinating. How much how much work is it to put together a tomb like this? Uh, oh, shit, I hate to count the hours. Um, I mean, we started work on it essentially before Bathurst last year and the manuscript was completed by March. So, you know, you're talking a six-month process and uh, probably about uh, probably four to five hours pretty much every day of that period. So you get a lot of it. And, uh, you know, for me, my job is to make sure that, he's, that every part of it is accurate, that, you know, when he talks about a car race, that we've actually got it nailed and we've got all the facts right and uh, you know and, and that, that sort of thing so you know there's quite a bit of research digging around on old websites and finding timesheets and all of those sort of things to to correct facts or, or check facts. Of course the internet makes things a lot easier but was there ever a time when he said hey uh, what about that car that there might not have been an internet record of? Yes there was plenty of that um, even down to the little things you know there's a he, he bought an old Brabham at one stage which was listed as one spec and you know, and AJ thought it was another spec, and then it comes out in the next race at this spec, you know, so a bit all over the place. So, yeah, lots of that sort of stuff. And strange cars, like, you know, you pull it up, and um, you know, he couldn't remember racing for March in, uh, in Formula 3, yet he did. Um, so little things like that. But, you know, once you get enough memories to, to prod it and say, you know, well, what about, you know, this car at Snetterton, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, and it all comes back. So, you know, as I say, my job is really just to, to poke and prod to get the stories. You've been doing a lot of stories outside of motor racing. How's it gone going back into a, a hardcore motor racing book? For me, it's it's the thing. I mean, I've been a motor racing person my whole life, so, you know, coming back and doing a motor racing thing, it's, uh, as you say, it is that labour of love, you know. It's, uh, it's like I get paid for a hobby, which is magnificent. You know, I love writing, I love telling stories, and if I can do that in motor racing, I'm a very happy boy. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.